listening audience to this new Heart After God radio broadcast. Brad starts a brand new series on the book of Luke. Last week, he gave the background on the gospel writer Luke. This week, Brad gives a short overview of the entire gospel. The distinction, as Brad describes it, is that Luke puts an emphasis on the humanity of Jesus and the Redeemer of all people. Unlike the Gospel of Matthew, which focuses on speaking to the Jews, Luke speaks to everyone else. At that time, that is, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, and all others in that region. Do you feel like an outsider? Or are you not sure of your faith and want assurance of where you stand with God? Then tune into this series. Let Brad guide you in better understanding exactly who Jesus is. Now here's Pastor Brad. Well, very warm greetings to you, dear friends. This is Pastor Brad Abley with a Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God. I am so blessed. I was just thinking about this just moments before this broadcast to be able to bring the Word of God to you, trusting the Lord that He will use these broadcasts to change and transform you in a great way. And um, it's just, I'm grateful to God for allowing me this privilege of preaching his word and teaching his word. And I'm grateful to you, the listener, for investing uh, in your spiritual life by listening to these broadcasts. I would ask that you would, I would humbly ask that you would share these broadcasts with many other people as well so we can get the Word of God out. Well, this is part two of our brand new series, Studying the Gospel of Luke, and I'm entitling it uh, Know Your Faith. This is the Know Your Faith series, because I believe that every Christian wants to know his or her faith. But many Christians don't know their faith. They don't know it well. And that is my goal, is to help you to know your faith extremely well, and that's what gives God glory and honor. It's also what strengthens the church. It strengthens our witness. It, our, our, the church is weak when the church doesn't understand its own faith, and it really is a slight and a slap in the face to the Lord who gave us his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. And so it's vital for us to be hungry and thirsty for him and for his word. And that is my ongoing prayer for you. Now, uh, speaking of prayer, let us jump right into prayer. We dare not open the word of God unless we first pray. And so, Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name in full dependence upon our teacher, the Holy Spirit. And we ask now, Holy Spirit... Well, I ask that you would anoint me to be able to do what I cannot do apart from your blessing, to teach in the fruit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let what I teach please and glorify the Father and the Son, and let it advance your church, deepen your church, renew your church, and revive your church. We commit these things now to you our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, 
Uh, in today's broadcast, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you more of introduction to the Gospel of Luke, but I'm not going to give quite as much information as I did in last week's broadcast. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give a little bit of background information over the course of the next few broadcasts until I've gotten through all the background or introductory information on Luke that I want to give you. And the reason that I'm doing that, as I mentioned last week, is because, you know, the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke was written 2,000 years ago in a different culture, in a different language than what we're used to, whether you're hearing this message in the U.S. or in Europe or in Africa or in anywhere else. It's just a, it was a different time, different culture, different language. And so it's important to understand the historical background of the gospel, the cultural background of the gospel, and the Greek language of this gospel as well. And then we then bring it out in with sound teaching. We want to be reverent in what we teach and what we learn. And that's why we pray. Now, so I'm just going to give a, a short overview of the Gospel of Luke. It's all very important so that you can understand Luke better. As I go through the Gospel of Luke, I'll probably mention these things as I go, but it's better if I mention most of it up front so that you'll go into the Gospel of Luke more ready than you would otherwise if I if I don't give you this background information and um, uh, this introduction. Now, uh, so beginning with, I want to mention something about Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel has a major emphasis on Jesus as fulfiller of Old Testament prophecies. And the reason that he does that is that establishes credibility to his Jewish readers who were, who they they knew that the only credibility for the coming of the Messiah is that he would have to fulfill Old Testament prophecies. That's the standard by which Matthew's gospel was measured. Now, that wasn't important to the Greek readers. And so Luke has a major interest in showing them Jesus' humanity, uh, his humanity as the redeemer of all human beings. And that's the reason that he uses his genealogy uh, in Luke chapter 3. Of course, Luke is going to focus on the deity of Jesus, but he really brings out the humanity of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit. When I speak about the the human writers, you know that the Word of God is a is really a a partnership. It's a it's a dual project, if you will. It is inspired. Every word was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and yet he works through human beings, fallible human beings, and yet God is able, because he is supernatural and miraculous, to sovereignly superintend his word and protect it so that it comes out inerrant and infallible so that we have a sure faith. And that was Luke's emphasis in writing this gospel to uh, Theophilus. 
Now, again, this this audience, the the readers that are receiving Luke's gospel are extremely interested in international affairs and in the plight of all people. And Luke is going to bring that out over and over. So accordingly, Luke records much of Jesus' life and teaching to Samaritans, to pagans, to tax collectors, to the poor, to sinners, and to social outcasts, as well as respectable people um, in addition. He gives a great attention of detail to men and to women, and women were not really considered important in that time and in that culture. But Luke brings that out because women are just as important to, to God as men are. For Luke, the coming of Jesus is by no means merely an event in the history of the Jewish nation, but it is a world event. We're going to see that in Luke chapter 2. We'll see it also in Luke 13. One of the things that I really appreciate about Luke is that he is often called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he writes more about the Holy Spirit in his gospel and in the book of Acts than any other biblical writer. He has more references to the Holy Spirit in his gospel than Matthew and Mark combined. Now, I have a special interest in in the Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the theology of the Holy Spirit. He is God, the third person of the Trinity. And so for that reason, uh, Luke, although I don't have a favorite gospel because I love Matthew and Luke and John um, equally, and I, I love Mark as well, but those are my three favorite. And the reason is because Mark is is a much more limited gospel. It's mostly focused on uh, the works of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Um, and, and of course, it does have the teaching of Jesus, but just not as extensively as Matthew and Luke and John. Now, Luke speaks of the Holy Spirit approximately 17 times in his gospel. John speaks of the Holy Spirit about 13 times. Matthew 12 and Mark 6. So you see my point. Of Luke's discussion of the Holy Spirit, seven of those 17 times appears in Luke chapter 1 and 2. So right up front. And six of those times are joined with the Holy Spirit's role in prophetic activity, which had been absent in Israel for 400 years. And so when John the Baptist comes on the scene. Um, the prophecy returns to Israel. And then, of course, when Jesus comes on the scene, that's the ultimate in prophecy. One uh, New Testament scholar, Ralph Martin, notes the significance of Luke's emphasis on the Holy Spirit when he writes, The Spirit's role in prophecy is a familiar theme in the Old Testament, and in later Jewish literature, the Holy Spirit is frequently thought of as the spirit of prophecy. And we're going to see that again many times in Luke chapter 1 and 2. The sudden reappearance of the prophetic spirit, which had ceased with Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, marks the commencement or the beginning of a new age 
which dawned with Jesus' birth. And as I. Howard Marshall writes, from the outset, the activity of the Spirit is the characteristic of the new age. That new age meaning uh, not like what we think of it today as a new age uh, religion, but in the messianic age. That would probably be a better way uh, to, to explain that. Well, I'm going to stop there. We'll do more on Luke's background as we move forward throughout the weeks. But for now, I want to turn to Luke chapter 1, and we are going to read. We're going to get into that history right now in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. And so if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. In the days of Herod. Now, see, right up front there, Luke is giving historical historical accuracy to the man that he's writing this to because Theophilus would wanted would have wanted to understand and to know the precise details of the Christian faith the Christian faith is a historical provable verifiable faith and there is more there's so much so many archaeological finds uh, over the centuries that there's actually a Bible called the Archaeological Bible, which has many commentary notes on archaeological findings that reinforce what Scripture claims. Now, Herod was a very wicked ruler, and so these were very dark times in Israel. Now, let me read it again. Verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of, I'm going to pronounce it the way it would be pronounced in Hebrew, Avia, but in English we would call it Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of of the Lord. But, verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Now, let's, let's unpack this and explain it. We find that um, Luke refers immediately to this priest named Zacharias and he specifies that he is of the division of Abijah. So he is setting us back because he, he, he described at the outset of his gospel to Theophilus that he is going to explain everything from the beginning. So what he's doing is he is explaining that before the birth of Jesus was the birth of John the Baptist, before the ministry of Jesus is the ministry of John the Baptist, who is fulfilling Isaiah chapter 40, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He's fulfilling um, that, that prophecy that a forerunner would come before the Messiah to prepare the hearts of the people uh, for his arrival. And, um, and so he comes to a man, an old man, 
named Zacharias and his wife, Elizabeth. Zacharias means the Lord remembers or the Lord recalls or the Lord is faithful. Elizabeth uh, can mean either house of God or God is an abundant provider. And Luke makes a special point at the outset in verse 6, and he says, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Does that mean they were sinless? No, not at all, uh, because they themselves needed to offer sacrifices for their sins. It doesn't mean that they were sinless. It simply means that they were very godly and very obedient and um, that their lives demonstrated reverence for the Lord. They took his word seriously. They were, they were a man and woman of prayer. And God looked at them and said, you are mature in your faith. That's really what the idea of uh, being blameless is. Not doesn't mean perfect. It just means uh, mature in their faith. But there's a reason that Luke mentions this before he mentions that Elizabeth was barren. And that he says that in verse seven, but they both, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Now, the reason that Luke tells the readers that they were both blameless in the sight of the Lord, keeping his commandments, etc., is because of this. They were without children. They had gone their entire marriage with no children. Now, in, in the ancient Near East, whether among Arabs or among Jews, but it's the same ca case in Africa and in the same case in Latin America, um, throughout much of the world, having large families has always been a very important thing. Family and children have always been celebrated throughout those cultures, especially in biblical times. Now, there were, just like today, there were women who were barren. That is, they couldn't give, uh, they, they were not able to, to get pregnant and give birth to children. Here's the problem. In that society, people thought that if you were not able to give birth to a child, there must be something wrong with you. There must be some sort of sin. Now, you can imagine that here, Zacharias and Elizabeth had faithfully served the Lord all of these years. Zacharias was a priest. He was a godly man. And you can imagine the looks that they got when they gathered together for other with other people. You can imagine the whispers. You can imagine the pain that they experienced in family gatherings because the Jewish people uh, then and even now would always have family get-togethers and celebrations, and there would always be um, kids running around, grandchildren, children, aunts and uncles, and what would they do? They would talk about their children. And that, for a childless couple, that is very difficult uh, 
when and, and then when when they encounter people that they don't know, well, people will say, oh, do you have any children? And of course, they would have to say, no, we don't. And that would be painful, especially for Elizabeth, but certainly for Zacharias as well. I know firsthand because my wife and I have not been able to have children. We've been married for 37 years. We love children, but we just were never able uh, to have children. Now, because people would have talked, and you know how people like to talk, they like to criticize, they like to second guess, they like to speculate. That's why Luke tells us, before he tells us that Elizabeth was barren, that they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. You see how God dignifies Zacharias and Elizabeth. God's opinion matters most about us. Well, God's opinion is the only opinion that really counts. And if man has a good opinion of us, praise God. Let it be to the glory of God. Let our good name bring him glory and honor. And if man doesn't have a good opinion of us, let us hope that it's because they're convicted of our godly lifestyle and not because of an ungodly lifestyle. And therefore, we weaken the body of Christ and we don't have a good godly witness. Now, that is not the end of the story here. So I've already mentioned that the Christian faith is a historical faith. It is a logical, rational faith but it is also a supernatural faith. It is a faith of power. And we're going to see that beginning in verse 8. Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of the division, according, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, why is that information important? It's important because there were thousands, many thousands, perhaps up to 20,000 priests living in Jerusalem. Because if you were born um, in the tribe of Levi, you as a male, you were automatically considered a priest. But there's only one temple and there's only so many priests that can officiate in the temple. And so that's why there, there had to be lots that were drawn um, so that they, uh, so that it would be fair that each priest was chosen to officiate the sacrifices in the temple and there was no favoritism. That's why Luke mentions this. Well, he says um, in verse 10, he says, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. He mentions that because Luke would have been in the Holy of Holies um, making a sacrifice for himself and for the people. And then we come to a supernatural experience and a sudden experience in verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense, which would be a place of authority and honor. Zacharias was troubled. Well, that word troubled 
would be better translated terrified, upset, frightened, because he had never seen an angel before. And when the presence of an angel comes to a human being, that is what happens. I've been in the presence of an angel. I don't usually talk about this very often because I know people will think I'm crazy. And um, it happened to me many, many years ago on maybe two or three occasions. And it would always happen while I was in the bathroom shaving. And I would get a, I, I can't say that I would see the angel literally, but I saw a face of a man that had curly hair and a heavenly um, presence. And, and every time what happened is it made my knees weak and I moved immediately into the bedroom, got on my knees and began to worship the Lord. You don't worship angels. The angel didn't say anything to me. It probably happened, if I recall, at times when I was very burdened. And the fact that that the Lord would see fit to bring an angel to me and let me be aware of it. You know, angels are ministering spirits sent out for the heirs of salvation. It humbled me. And it didn't make me proud. That's why I, I rarely share this testimony. But when I do share it, it helps people that have had similar experiences. And, and the, the proof of it is in the results. The result is that I didn't worship the angel. I worshiped Jesus Christ, who saw fit to allow that experience to happen. Well, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing uh, to the right of the altar of incense, Zacharias was troubled. He was terrified when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Isn't that the heart of God? For your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness. There's Luke's emphasis right away on joy. And many will rejoice at his birth. I'm going to stop there because I want to spend a few moments of ministry uh, to the people that are listening. It's remarkable that, that God did a supernatural thing and enabled, and, and then eventually, as we'll read on in Luke 1, Elizabeth did conceive, and she gave birth to John the Baptist. That's remarkable, but that is extremely rare. There are only seven occurrences in the Bible, maybe eight, where a woman that was unable to have a child, God enabled her supernaturally to have a child. Now, there are hundreds of thousands of women throughout the ages, who never were able to bear a child. God knows what he's doing. And one thing that I appreciate about Zacharias and Elizabeth is they weren't bitter towards the Lord for not having a child. But because of this supernatural experience, I sense that the Holy Spirit wants me to pray for some people out there who have not been able to have a child. 
And so I'm going to pray for you now in this minute that I have left. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you want to enable women who have been unable to conceive throughout this audience. I believe that you want to enable them to conceive. And so I pray right now that you would do just that, that you by the Holy Spirit will open their womb and that they will be able to miraculously conceive and give birth. And I pray that you would protect the children that are born from the evil one, from sickness and disease all the days of their lives. And now my friends, nine months from now or a year from now, if you are one of those that gave birth, make sure you let me know. Until then, may the Lord bless you greatly. There are a lot of things that we cannot change in our world, but isn't it a great encouragement to know that we can pray to our God and He literally has the power to change those things that we feel hopeless to change under our own power and might. This broadcast reminds me and convicts me to pray more often, but furthermore, make prayer my first line of defense instead of the final line of defense. Well, I hope you will join us again next week by staying tuned to this station in time for another new edition of a Heart After God Bible teaching. Until next time, pray often, and through your prayers, may God grant you the desires of your heart. God bless you.